Star Wars, The Han Solo Adventures by Brian Daly, read by Alec Bowles. Han Solo and the Lost Legacy 16. The Millennium Falcon moved through the Dalalshan air at what was, for her, a conservative speed. Even so, Han was recovering the distance from the city in minutes. Galandro was off gathering equipment elsewhere in the ship with Bollocks's help. Hasty and Badur sat, respectively, in the navigator's and communication officer's high-backed chairs behind Han and Chewbacca. Skinks, his injuries dressed and treated, as theirs had been, was curled in Hasty's lap. It's hard to accept, Hasty was saying, all these years. How could a secret be kept for generations? Secrets have been kept for ages, Badur pointed out. It was easy enough in this case. There are really two strata in the survivors' organization. The dupes lived and died there in the mountains, maintaining the war robots as a religious ritual, holding their ceremonies once in a while. Then there were the others, the ones who knew the secret of Zim's treasure and waited for the time they could use it. But they all got the conditioning as children, right? Han asked. And when Lonnie happened on the mountain base and got her hands on the log recorder disc and put it in the lockbox at the vaults, Hasty murmured, her voice thick with sorrow, she couldn't have known that the steward was part of the survivor's apparatus. Such had been the assistant's testimony once his conditioning had been overcome. The steward had sent the disc back to the survivor's mountain worn as soon as it had come into his possession, of course, and he had contrived a non-existent voice coder to keep Lanny, Hasty, or anyone else from claiming it. He was aware that Juok had learned something about the disc from Lanny before killing her, and that the woman was actively seeking it. He had passed word to her through survivor double agents that the Millennium Falcon had landed, knowing he couldn't cope with the starship if force were brought to bear on the vaults. He knew Juok could, and hoped that Hasty and the others and their ship would be destroyed in battle, and the matter closed. But instead, Juok had mounted the ambush that had resulted in the capture of the Falcon. Not having found the disc on board the starship, Juok had made pointed inquiries at the vaults. The steward had managed to put her off, but knowing it was only a matter of time until she used force to inspect the lockboxes herself and put him to a more harrowing interrogation, he ordered the long dormant Guardian Corps sent out against the mining camp. The war robots, maintained through generations for just such an emergency, had come close to accomplishing their purpose. So why are the survivors still sitting on their money after all this time? Han wondered. The Old Republic was stable and unbeatable, Badur answered. They had no hope of moving against it, even with Zim's treasure backing them. It's only now, with the Empire having its troubles, that the survivors smelled a setup they might be able to exploit, especially here in the Tyon hegemony. I bet small-timers everywhere are getting the same sort of idea. A new Zim, and a new despotism, Hasty mused. How could they have believed it, even under conditioning? They can believe one thing, 
Han said, watching the land roll by quickly beneath them. The survivors are about to suffer a capital loss. Shouldn't we have a bigger ship? Hasty inquired. Han shook his head. First, we make sure the treasure's there and put what we can in the Falcon. Then, we unship a quad battery and some defensive shielding generators. Galandro and I will hold the fort while Chewie and the rest of you go find a bigger ship, about the size of Juok's lighter, say. It won't take too long. And what will you do with your share of the money? Badur asked casually. He saw doubt and confusion cross the pilot's face. I'll worry about that when I've got a stack of credits so high I'll have to rent a warehouse. Han replied at last. Galandro, who had just entered the cockpit, carrying the equipment he had gathered, said, Well put, Solo. Indelicate, but on target. He checked their progress. We'll be there in a moment. I haven't ransacked a bank in a long time. There's a certain zest to it. Han reserved his reply and put the starship into a steep dive. The Falcon dropped out of the sky ahead of her own sonic boom. Delulsions near the vaults suddenly saw the vessel appear above them, its braking thrusters thundering, its landing gear extended like predatory claws. People scurried for shelter as the shock wave of the freighter's passage caught up with her, making the ground tremble and the buildings shake. She came to rest on the roofless portico outside the vault's single door. The Falcon's external speakers whooped and wailed with emergency sirens and klaxons. Her visual warning systems and running lights were flashing at maximum luminescence. Bystanders would have difficulty seeing and hearing, much less interfering. The ramp dropped and Han and Galandro ran down, blasters ready, equipment and tools waiting them. Behind followed Badur, Hasty, and Skinks. The girl objected, Are you sure there isn't some other way to do this? Han had to read her lips, unable to hear her in the din. He shook his head. Chewbacca had to stay at the controls, both because he knew the ship and because Han trusted only the Wookiee with the care of the Falcon. Bollock stayed behind as well to keep a photoreceptor on instrumentation the first mate couldn't spare time to monitor. Han wanted at least two people to hold the main door, Hasty and Badur. He and Galandro would do the searching taking Skinks along to translate. The area seemed fairly secure. The Delulsions had no way to cope with an armed starship. Han waved to his partner in the cockpit, and though he couldn't be heard, added, Fire, Chewie! From the Falcon's top and belly turrets shot lines of red annihilation playing on the closed door of the treasure vault. Smoke obscured the door in seconds as the quad guns traced incandescent lines across it. Red cannon fire pitted and burned through material that had withstood generations of time and weathering, cutting glowing gashes in it. No weapon of its time could have penetrated it so easily. But in moments, the door had been breached, pieces of it falling away. The reports of the gunfire added to the tremendous noise level. Han signaled again, and Chewbacca ceased fire. Smoke billowed away on the chill wind to reveal a yawning hole, its red-hot edges quickly cooling. Armed robbery, laughed Galandro. There's nothing like it.
Let's get inside, Han mouthed. They ran together and hurtled through the gaping door. Hasty and Badur followed a moment later. Stay here and make sure you maintain calm link with Chewie, Han told them. Badur set Skinks down. Don't forget the defensive system, Hasty called as Han, Galandro, and Skinks raced off. Among the things their captives had revealed was the fact that the treasure vaults were equipped with defensive security devices. The presence of a firearm in any protected area would trigger automated weapons. They went deeper into the gloom of the cavernous vestibule, abandoned by the Delaltians, who had wisely sought other refuge. Han didn't see a man appear to one side, weapon raised, but Galandro caught the movement, drew and fired all in the same instant. The steward cried aloud, clutching his middle, then collapsed to the pressure-packed tile floor. The gunman kicked the steward's dropped disruptor away. You cannot, cannot, the white-bearded man moaned, half in delirium from his wound. We have kept it safe, unsullied since we were entrusted with it. His eyes fluttered and lowered forever. Galandro laughed. We'll make better use of it than you, old man. At least we'll get it into circulation, eh, Solo? Han, moving on, offered no answer. Galandro came after, and Skinks rushed to catch up. They descended dusty ramps and broad staircases, the empty vaults all around them. At one point, they lowered themselves by the cable of an ancient lift platform that no longer worked, complying precisely with the instructions extracted from the captive survivors under Hypno. Han marked their trail with a tint bulb. At the lowest level of the vault proper, they came to a forking of the ways. Their information on the vault complex layout went no further than this. It's off this corridor, one of the side tunnels, Han said. Got your copy of the Identimarks? Good. The little fellow can stay with you, Solo, Galandro replied, meaning Skinks. I prefer to operate alone. He hitched up the straps, holding his equipment, and stalked away. Okay, stay sharp, Han told Skinks. And the search began. Soon they were absorbed in the intricate business of examining side corridors for the identimarks described by their prisoners and copied by skinks. These lowest levels of the vault proper were stale and seemed airless, layered with ankle-deep dust and a gloom that resisted the beam of the handheld spotlight. They passed room after room of empty bins and vacant shelves, at last, Skinks stopped. Captain, this is it. These are the ones. He was vibrating with excitement. To Han, the side corridor looked no different from any other, ending as it did in a blank wall at the bottom of an obviously empty vault complex. But Skinks was right. The identimarks matched. Han shucked his other gear and lifted a heavy-duty fusion cutter into place. Skinks, taking the comm link, tried to contact the others and inform them of the find, but could raise no response. The walls are probably too thick, Hans suggested as he set to work. When it had been built, 
The wall would have withstood any assault that could have been made with portable equipment. But Han was beneficiary of a long technological gap. Chunks of the wall began to fall away. Beyond was the glow of a perpetual Illuma system. Han set the fusion cutter aside hurriedly, anxious to see for himself. A treasure beyond spending. He could barely contain himself. He ducked and stepped through, followed by Skinks. The vault was dust-free, dry, and as quiet as when Zim's artisans had sealed it, moments before they were put to death centuries ago. His steps echoing in the stillness, Han smiled. The real vaults. All the time, they were right here. Hunters had scoured this whole part of space for Zim's treasure because his vaults were empty. And all the time, there had been complete duplicates right under the decoys. Skinks, I'll buy you a planet to play with. The Rurian made no answer, silenced by the weight of years hanging over the place. They followed the corridor through a few turns and came to a stretch where warning flashers blinked in their wall sockets, as they had been doing for centuries. This no-weapons zone was an antechamber to the true treasure vaults of Zim. Han stopped, wishing neither to be burned by the defensive weapons nor to go on unarmed aware he might face other dangers. He turned back with great reluctance. At the fusion cut opening, Galandro waited. Han paused, and Skinks waited uncertainly. We found it, the pilot told the gunman with a jerk of his thumb. The real one. It's back there. He realized Galandro had heard Skinks' transmissions after all. Galandro registered no elation, only amused acceptance. Han knew without being told that everything had changed. The gunman's abandoned equipment was stacked to one side, and he had doffed his short jacket, prelude to a gun duel. I said, the treasure is back there, Han repeated. Galandro smiled his frosty smile. This has nothing to do with money, Solo. Although I postponed it until you and your group could help me find the vaults, I have my own plans for Zim's treasure. Han warily shrugged out of his jacket. Why? was all he asked, carefully unsnapping his holster's retaining strap and rotating it forward out of his way. His fingers stretched and worked, waiting. You require chastening, Solo. Who do you think you are? Truth to tell, you're nothing but a commonplace outlaw. Your luck has run out. Now, call the play. Han nodded, knowing Galandro would if he didn't. And this'll make you feel superior, right? His hand blurred for his blaster, the best single play of his life. Their speed draw mechanics were very different. Hans incorporated movements of shoulders and knees, a slight dipping, a partial twist. Galandro's was ruthless economy, an explosion of every nerve and muscle that moved his right arm alone. When the blaster bolt slammed into his shoulder, Hans' overwhelming reaction was surprise. Some part of him had believed in his luck 
to the end. His own draw half completed, his shot went into the floor. He was spun half around, in shock, smelling the stench of his own charred flesh. The pain of the wound started an instant later. A second bolt from the cautious Galandro struck his forearm, and Han's blaster dropped. Han sank to his knees, too startled to cry out. Skinks retreated with a terrified chitter. Swaying, clasping his wounded arm to him, Han heard Galandro say, That was very good, Solo. You came closer than anyone's come in a long time. But now, I'll take you back to the corporate sector. Not that I care about the authorities' justice, but there are those who have to be shown what it means to stand in my way. Han gasped through locked teeth. I'm not doing time in any authority horror factory. Galandro ignored that. Your friends are more expendable, however. If you'll pardon me, I'll have to see your Rurian comrade before he gets into any mischief. He slapped a pair of binders he'd found on board the Falcon around Han's ankles and ground the pilot's comlink under his heel. You were never the amoralist you feigned to be, Solo. But I am, in a way. It's too bad we didn't meet later, when you were salted and wiser. You're pretty good in a fight. You might have made a useful lieutenant. He removed the charge from Han's blaster tucked it into his belt, and sauntered off after Skinks, who, unable to get past the gunman, had fled back down the corridors toward the treasure vaults. Galandro moved cautiously, knowing the Rurian was unarmed, but counting no being harmless when it was fighting for its life. He rounded a corner to see Skinks cowering against the wall some distance along, gazing at him with huge, terrified eyes paralyzed with fear. Around the far turn of the corridor, he could see the reflected warning lights of a no-weapons zone. Gripping his blaster, Galandro smirked. It's a pity, my little friend, but there's too much at stake here. Solo's the only one I can afford to take alive. I shall make this as easy as I can. Hold still. Drawing a bead on Skinks's head, he stepped forward. Energy discharges flashed from hidden emplacements. Even Galandro's fabulous reflexes gave him no edge against the speed of light. Caught in a flaring crossfire of defensive weapons, the gunman was hit by a dozen lethal blasts before he could so much as move. He was the center of an abrupt inferno. Then his scorched remains fell to the corridor floor, and the smell of incinerated flesh clogged the air. Skinks uncoiled from his spot at the corridor wall bit by bit. He threw aside the warning flashers he had removed from their sockets along the corridor's wall. He gave silent thanks Galandro hadn't noticed the empty sockets. A prudent Rurian probably would have. Humans, remarked Skinks, then went off to rescue Han Solo. Not much left of him, is there? Han asked rhetorically an hour later as he stood over Galandro's blackened remains. Like the others, he had left his gun outside the no-weapons zone. Badur and Hasty had made temporary repairs to his shoulder and forearm with one of the ship's medipacks. If Han received competent medical attention soon, 
there would be no lasting effect from Galandro's blaster bolts. Chewbacca was just finishing a careful examination of that corridor and the one beyond, running a thorough check along the walls to search out each weapon's emplacement. He had opened each one with hand tools and deactivated it. Satisfied that there would be no danger in bringing power equipment and tools inside, the Wookiee barked to Han. Let's get busy. I don't like the idea of the Falcon being unmanned. When Skinks had returned with news of the gun duel, Chewbacca had moved the starship so that she blocked the main door. Her ramp extended down through it. He had warped the ship's defensive mantle around and set her guns to fire automatically on sensor lock should anyone come too close. One warning volley, and then the real item. The Delaltians trapped inside on the starship's arrival had already surrendered and been permitted to leave. The Falcon would protect the treasure hunters for the time being, but Han didn't want to press his already overextended luck. They gathered their gear and moved on. At the end of the next corridor was a metal wall bearing a Wookiee-high representation of Zim's death's head symbol. Chewbacca lifted the fusion cutter to it and began slicing, splitting the insignia in two amid flying, flashing motes. Then he began carving in earnest. Heat washed back across him. In short order, there was a wide opening in the door. Beyond, bathed in the glow of Illuma panels that had been keeping the place bright for generations, was the glittering of gems, the gleam of metals, piles of strong boxes, and racks of storage cylinders in warehouse-sized shelf stacks that stretched from floor to high ceiling and away into the distance as far as they could see. And this was only the first of the treasure rooms. Skinks was quiet, almost reverent. He had made the find of a lifetime, a discovery out of daydreams. Badur and Hasty remained solemn, too, as they considered the size and wealth of the place, the impact it would have on their lives, and the memory of what they had gone through to stand here. Not so, Han and Chewbacca. The pilot jumped through the gap in the door, wounded arm held to him by a traction web. We did it! We did it! He shouted in glee. The Wookiee lurched after him, tossing his long-maned head back with an ecstatic, Roo! They slapped each other, laughter echoing away into the piles of treasure. Chewbacca's huge feet slapped the floors in a thumping victory dance as Han laughed in joy. Skinks and Badur had gone to open containers with Bollocks' help to examine Zim's spoils. Chewbacca offered to assist them. Spread it out here, Han enjoined him. I want to roll around in it. He paused when he noticed Hasty nearby, eyeing him strangely. I always wondered what you'd be like, she told him. When you found your big win, you and the Wook. What now? Han still rode the wave of elation. What now? Why will... will... He stopped, giving the subject some serious thought for the first time. We'll pay off our debts, get ourselves a first-class ship and crew, uh... Hasty nodded to herself. And settle down, Han? She asked softly. Buy a planet, 
or take over a few conglomerates and live the life of a good man of business? She shook her head slowly. Your problems are just beginning, rich man. His joy was receding fast, replaced by a tangled knot of doubts, plans, the need for forethought and mature wisdom. But before he could berate Hasty for being a spoil sport, he heard Chewbacca's angry roar. The Wookiee held a metallic ingot, frowning at it in disgust. He dumped a handful of them onto the floor in a chiming avalanche and gave the pile a kick that sent ingots skittering every which way. Han forgot Hasty and went to his friend. What is it? Chewbacca explained with frustrated grunts and moans. Han picked up one of the ingots and saw that his co-pilot was right. This stuff's curium. You can get it anywhere. Skinks, what's it doing in with the treasure? The small academician had located a vault directory screen at the end of the nearest shelf stack. An old televiewer mounted on a low stand. He brought it to flickering life and columns of ciphers and characters raced across the screen as Skinks answered distractedly. There would seem to be a great deal of it here, Captain, and a huge quantity of Mytag crystalline vertices and mountains of enriched Bordhell-type fuel slugs, among other things. Mytag crystals? Han repeated in puzzlement. They run those things off by the carload. What kind of treasure's this? Where's the real treasure? A belly laugh distracted him. Badur had found a canister of the Mytag crystal and flung a double handful into the air. The crystals rained down around him, catching the light as he convulsed in laughter. This is it, or was an age ago. Don't you see, Slick? Curium is artificial shielding material. Not very good by modern standards, but a major breakthrough in its time and tough to produce to boot. With quantities of curium to shield heavy guns and engines, Zim could field warcraft that were better armed and faster than anything else in space at the time. And Mytag crystals were used in old subspace commo and detection gear. You needed lots and lots of them for any space fleet or planetary defenses. And so forth. All this was critical war materiel. With the stuff in these vaults, Zim could have assembled a war machine that would have conquered this whole part of space. But he lost big at the Third Battle of Vontor first. That's it? Han bellowed. We went through all this for a treasure that's obsolete? Not quite, Skinks commented mildly, still bent over the screen. One whole section is filled with information tapes, artworks, and artifacts. There is a hundred times more information contained here than everything we know about the period altogether. I'll bet the survivors have long since forgotten just what it was they were guarding, Hasty put in. They believed the legends, just like everyone else. I wonder what did happen to the Queen of Ranroon. Badur shrugged. Perhaps they plunged her into the system's primary after she offloaded the treasure, or sent her off with a skeleton crew to arrange misleading sightings of her and create a false trail. Who knows? Skinks had left the view screen and started a delirious dance, first on his hind limbs, then on the front ones, hopping and capering much as Han and Chewbacca had a moment before. Marvelous! Miraculous! What a find! I'm sure to get my own chair funded. No, 
my own department. Han, leaning against a wall, slowly sank to a squatting position. Artworks, hmm? Chewie and I can just stroll into the Imperial Museum with a bunch under our arms and start haggling, right? He rested his forehead on his good arm. Chewbacca patted his shoulder solicitously, making mournful sounds. Skinks gradually stopped cavorting, realizing what a disappointment all this was to the two. There are some things of intrinsic value, Captain. If you choose carefully, you could fill your ship with items you could dispose of relatively simply. There would be some profit. He was fighting the urge to hoard the entire find, knowing that the Millennium Falcon could bear away no more than an insignificant part of it. Enough, I suppose, to get your ship repaired properly and have your wounds looked after in a first-class medicenter. What about us? Hasty interposed. But Dur and I haven't even got a starship. Skinks pondered for a moment, then brightened. I can write my own ticket with the university. An unlimited budget. How would you two like to work with me? Academic pursuits will be dull after this, I suppose, to a pair of humans, but there'd be generous pay and retirement benefits and quick promotions. We'll be years and years working on this find. I'll need someone to look after all the workers, scholars, and automata. Badur smiled and put an arm around Hasty's shoulders. She nodded. That made Skinks think of something else. Bollocks? Would you and Blue Max care for positions? You'd be of great help, I'm sure. After all, you two are the only ones who interacted with the war robots at any length. There's certain to be an effort to study their remains. We have a great deal yet to learn about their thought processes. Blue Max answered for them both. Skinks, we'd like that a lot. If the locals don't march in here and take it all away from you, Han reminded them as Chewbacca helped him to his feet. Seeing their concern, he added, I'll guess we'll leave you a portable defense generator and some heavy weapons and supplies out of the Falcon. That'll give us more cargo space. Badur sounded uncharacteristically angry. Han, how gullible do you think the rest of the universe is? You always want to do the right things for the wrong reasons. Well, what will you do the day you run out of excuses, son? Han pretended not to hear. We'll punch through a distress call just before we make our jump out of the system. There'll be a tie-on hegemony gunboat here before you know it. Come on, Chewie. Let's break out the hand truck and get the ship loaded before anything else happens. Captain, Skinks called. Han paused and looked back. Here's a funny thing. I still think this adventuring was basically just danger and hardship a long way from home. But now that it's ended and we're parting company, I find myself saddened. Look us up for a refresher course anytime, offered Han. Skinks shook his head. I have much to do here. All too soon, I'll be called away by my blood. When it's time to go chrysalis, then live a brief season as a chroma wing. If you wish to see me then, Captain, come and look on Ruria for the flyer whose wing markings are the same as my own banding. The chroma wing won't recognize you, but perhaps some part of Skinks will. Han nodded, finding no adequate way to say goodbye. Badur called, Hey, Slick! 
Han and his co-pilot looked to him and he laughed. Thanks, boys. Forget it. Han dismissed the entire incident. He started off again with his sidekick, both of them moving with some pain due to their injuries. After all, a life debt's a life debt, isn't it, partner? On this last note, he poked a knuckle into his co-pilot's ribs. Chewbacca swung angrily, but not too quickly. Han ducked, and the Wookiee backed off. Look, Han said, that's it for Missions of Mercy, all right? We're smugglers. That's what we know, and that's what we're good at, and that's what we're sticking to. The Wookiee growled concurrence. The others, surrounded by the endless shelf stacks of Zim's treasure, heard the discussion echo back from the corridor. Han broke into Chewbacca's rumblings with, When the Falcon's repaired and this wing of mine's fixed, we're going to try another Kessel Spice run. The Wookiee croaked an irritated objection. Han insisted, It's fast money, and we won't have to look at any dirt. We'll get Jabba the Hutt or somebody to back us for a cut. Listen, I've got this plan. Just as they were moving out of earshot, Chewbacca's protests stopped. He and Han Solo shared some joke that made both laugh slyly. Then they returned to their schemes. There, Bedour declared to Hasty, Skinks, Bollocks, and Blue Max, go the real survivors. End of... Star Wars, The Han Solo Adventures, by Brian Daly.